We have a slight adjustment to our published reading tonight, so we shall start on page 1037, page 1037. We're still in Luke, chapter 5, but we shall begin at verse 17. On one of those days, as he, that is Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But, finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thanks, Tara. Uh, Sorry about the last-minute change. Thank you, Tara, for being so accommodating. Um, So my name is Ray. Uh, I'm a regular member of this church. Uh, I'm speaking to you on Luke 5 today. And and specifically, we're going to look at uh, Jesus, the great physician. Uh, you should have been given one of these service sheets when you're on, on your way in. So in case that you're confused about what I'm saying, try to use this to find your way back. Um, some diseases are very deadly. Ebola is one of the most deadly diseases in human history. Now, we have about 30 people here tonight. And if all of us were to have contracted Ebola today and showing symptoms of it, two weeks later, and that's the 10th of January, half of us will die. And in the worst-case scenario, only three of us will survive. Um, 
It is very deadly. And so far, it has killed 8,000 people, and it's still spreading. Now, there are other types of disease that's less deadly, but it spreads so much faster. Seasonal flu, for example, is said to affect 10% to 30% of people every year. And um, that's about 4 million cases of severe illness and about 400,000 deaths each year. How many people is 400,000? If you filled up the O2 stadium with dead people 20 times over, that's 400,000. It is scary and very sad. Yet there's another kind of disease that's even more deadly than Ebola. It has a death rate of 100%, and this disease is also more widespread than seasonal flu. Uh, it's also hereditary, meaning uh, people born with it. If Ebola kills like a rifle and seasonal flu kills like a shotgun, then this disease kills like a giant comet hitting Earth, wiping out everybody. Today we're going to look at a disease called sin. Sin plagues every one of us. We'll look at sin from Luke 5, and it is a case study of a person called Levi. Specifically, we're going to look at three things. Number one, uh, the sick who got healthy. Second, the healthy who were never healthy. And lastly, how do you know that you're healthy? Very simple. The sick who got healthy, the healthy who was never healthy. And lastly, how do you know you're healthy? In Luke's gospel, Jesus started his public ministry in chapter 4, verse 14. And it's just 64 verses until today's passage. He was already very, very famous. And he's famous because he did many miracles. Jesus was so famous, he attracted attention from religious establishment. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Pharisees from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem came to check out Jesus. It's like saying religious leaders from every township of northern England, southern England, and London all got together and checked out Jesus. It was a very big deal. Everyone who was anyone was there. And as the religious leaders packed the house, and so with the, along with the local crowds, and to listen to Jesus, Jesus announced that he could forgive sin basically making himself equal with God. People were suspicious, so Jesus proved it by telling a paralytic to get up and take your mat and go home. This amazed everybody, and they all shouted, we have never seen anything like this. Today's case study is an incident that follows immediately on the back of it. Verse 27 reads, After this, Jesus went out, and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. The passage starts with, after this. So Luke wants us to read today's passage with the incident of the paralytic in mind. Here's a question. The famous Jesus was in town. Everybody was there. The roof was lifted when they shouted, we have never seen anything like this. So why was Levi sitting by himself in the tax booth, and not joining the crowd. Well, because Levi was a tax collector, and therefore a social outcast, 
back in Jesus' days, tax collectors were hated. Uh, they were traitors. They were exploited everybody. They were very greedy about money. And according to Mishnah, uh, that, is the, um, that is the Jewish common teaching of rabbis, uh, tax collectors are permanently unclean because of their constant contact with Roman Gentiles. Therefore, tax collectors are forbidden to enter temples. Their money defiles anyone who accepts it. In other words, tax collectors can never buy offerings and sacrifice to atone for their own sins. Thus, no Israelite in their right mind will ever associate with a tax collector. If Levi was going back home to see his mom and dad during Christmas, the conversation would probably look like this. Son, we love you very much, but stay where you are. Don't come any closer, or you will defile us and drag us to hell. And put it in another way, the moment when a person decides to be a tax collector, he punched his one-way ticket to hell. <clears throat> it's not just a bad career choice. It's taking on a whole new life, and there's no coming back. <clears throat> if the cost of being a tax collector was so high, why would Levi want to be a tax collector? Well, we don't know because the Bible didn't tell us, but what we know for sure it's about it's this one thing, that at the moment when Levi decided to be a tax collector, he must have been fully convinced that chasing after money is better than being God's people and enjoy the relationship with him. He must have been fully convinced of that. And doesn't that sound very familiar? The shocking truth is that this, this same sickening message that paralyzed Levi from making a sound judgment back then, continues to plague each one of us today. Sin is pride, which leads us to thinking that my life is better without God. Therefore, I must replace God from the driving seat of my life. And I shall pedal to the middle, <clears throat> expending all my resources to get away from God, because he is stopping me from having true happiness. But just like Levi... When we finally get our hands on whatever we pursue without God, we might enjoy a brief moment and thinking that life is now much better, but the satisfaction will never last. The reason is very simple. When we run away from God, when we run away from the source of life, whatever we end up with cannot be life itself. So Levi was literally filthy rich, and he had no hope for tomorrow. The interesting effect about having lots of money is that it helps you to realize that material possessions are meaningless without God or people. Levi was forever cut off from God, spiritually empty, and there is absolutely nothing he could do about it. Do you find that fulfillment never lasts for long? If so, you're a Levi. You're seeking life away from God. Stop. You're very sick. You're killing yourself. But thankfully, this is not the end for Levi. Let's keep reading. <coughs> and Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. 
So when Jesus saw Levi, and Jesus offered him the only way back in, Levi made the obvious choice. Levi left everything and followed Jesus. Before Jesus, Levi was rich with every material possession, but his life was dark and gloomy. With Jesus, he left everything, but his life was now in full color. Jesus healed Levi of his disease by giving him a new life. You might be wondering, if I were Levi, why would I ever want to go back to Israel? Why would I ever want to go back to a nation of people who hate my guts? It's clear from the text that when Levi followed Jesus, it doesn't mean that he returned to become just another regular Israelite. Instead, he went back to become a true child of God. And that was anything but a regular Israelite. Verse 29 suggests that Levi lived a radically different life. After Jesus healed Levi of his sinful disease, Levi could have lived like everyone else and tried to stay away from tax collector in the fear of being defiled again. But instead, Levi arranged an evangelistic dinner and invited all the other tax collectors to meet Jesus, knowing Jesus is the only way back in for all self-aware sinners. Levi's grateful heart motivated him to live radically. Levi was living a life against the prejudices of the society. Do you find it strange that why Christians just wouldn't shut up about Jesus? Why we go on and on about Jesus, about how he gave his life on the cross and became the only way to God? Well, perhaps it's because we found it incredibly awesome and liberating and to, to be able to live this life, that we want you also try to experience it. Um, would you be willing to find out more about this gospel message? If so, talk to the person sitting next to you and ask, why is it awesome to be a Christian? Now, Back in Jesus' days, eating with someone symbolized mutual acceptance. You're promoting each other, basically. So an evangelistic dinner between Jesus and the other tax collectors was a major defiance against the expectations of the society because it meant that Jesus, um, thinking that a tax collector is just as sinful or just as clean as a regular person. Naturally, this didn't go unnoticed, and it forced the religious leaders to challenge Jesus. Verse 30 reads, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? If you phrase that question into modern-day English, essentially, what the religious leaders were asking, Jesus, why do you eat with non-Christians at an evangelistic dinner? Are you promoting atheism? It's on the same level of delusion as saying to a physician, doctors, why do you admit patients to hospital? Are you encouraging people to be sick? Clearly, one has been really misguided to make such a question. Now, the Bible recorded this to show us three things. First, Jesus claimed that he's God, and therefore he could forgive sin, and he proved it by healing the paralytic, and everybody went, who have never seen anything like this. Well, <clears throat> people were amazed by the healing only, and they, no, no one believed Jesus' claim that he could actually forgive sin. Otherwise, when they saw Jesus 
uh, inviting Levi to come back in, they would have praised Jesus for extending forgiveness and mercy even to the most hated tax collectors. Uh, Put it in another way, the religious leaders were saying, Dr. Jesus, we don't believe you can actually heal sin. That's their message. Second, the Bibles want us to see the extent, just how unbelieving these religious leaders were. Verse 29 says, Jesus dined with tax collectors and others. But the same phrase, by the time it came out of the mouth of a religious leader, it became tax collectors and sinners. They changed the word others to sinners. And the logic is that the religious leaders thinking the sin of a tax collector was so great, it was so contagious, it was so devastating, that it will defile anyone who associates. And they're implicating that Jesus was also defiled. Put it in other words, Dr. Jesus, not only that we don't believe you could heal sin, in fact, we think you have contracted the disease of which you claim to heal. Three, the Bible is trying to show us that why religious leaders didn't believe, and this reason is called self-righteousness. Verse 30 says that the religious leader grumbled. When people grumble, oh sorry, when people grumble, the implication is that others should pay more attention to them because they deserve better. And therefore the religious grumbled, uh, the religious leaders grumbled against Jesus because they expected Jesus to have dined with them instead so that Jesus can approve and promote their religious understanding and practices. And what a terrible practices they had. Their practices were truly awful. These religious leaders were supposed to be the doctors who helped people with spiritual diseases. And yet, when a dying patient, like a tax collector, turned up, the main health advice they gave to him was, whoa, I can see that this sickness is really bad, and you're clearly suffering. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you home so you can heal yourself. Take your time, no need to rush, but don't you ever come back to me unless you are fully healed. Imagine turning up at A&E when you're in a car accident and you desperately need help, but you will refuse treatment on the basis that you actually need help. How ridiculous would that be? Yes, on paper, these religious doctors would have had impeccable records. No patient ever died under my care. But that's because they turned away everyone who actually needed help. Of course, Dr. Jesus wouldn't endorse that kind of nonsense. But do you know what's the irony of it all? The irony is that these religious doctors were also sick themselves. They were, in fact, even more sick than the tax collectors. At least the tax collectors knew that they were sick and they needed help but the religious doctors were too sick to know the difference. When they gained up on Jesus and challenged him, they were effectively pushing away the only doctor who can heal them. The religious leaders do all kinds of things in order to get God, to win favor from God. But when God stood in front of them, they pushed him away. So how can people be so sick to know the difference between healthy and sick? Perhaps it's because we are so used to the state of being sick 
that we, that we mistaken any sign of improvement for a complete recovery. Like a blind person who sees a light bulb for the first time and thinking that it's the midday sun. Spiritually, we mistaken civility, social sophistication, niceness, goodness, patience, all that kind of thing, as righteousness. Not knowing that these qualities don't even come close to the level of righteousness demanded by God. Being a law-abiding citizen doesn't make us spiritually healthy. C.S. Lewis offered the best explanation on spiritual blindness. He said, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he's not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake, not while you are sleeping. You can see mistakes in math when your mind is working properly. While you are making them, you cannot see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness while you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about neither. The Bible says we are spiritually sick and desperately need healing. And we need healing from Jesus on a daily basis. Can you see that you need help? Can you see how dangerous how dangerous it is to believe that we can heal ourselves, that we can live lives in perfect spiritual health without Dr. Jesus? Please don't reject the only doctor who can heal you. Go to him daily and receive treatment for free in full gratitude. Lastly, and perhaps the most important point is, how do you know that you are healthy? Thankfully, today's passage offers a way for us to do spiritual checkup. Verse 31 reads, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. You know you are spiritually healthy if Jesus is central and indispensable in your life. The superficial meaning of verse 31 is very obvious. Sick people need doctor, sinners need Jesus. But there's a bit more nuance to that verse. People back in the first century don't enjoy the same kind of medical convenience anywhere like we do in the 21st century. Let me just say a few words to kick off your um, imagination. Immunization, antiseptics, penicillin, anesthetics, ambulance. Of course, none of those things existed back then. So if you have a cut, the wound is much likely to go bad and be deadly. And because most people were in physical labor, like farming or fishing, so the chances of people getting uh, injury is much greater as well. Therefore, not only that, uh, people are likely to receive uh, deadly injuries. Injuries also can be very deadly very frequently. And also, there was no NHS or sickness benefit. Back then, you work a day to make enough money to buy food for family for one day. So if you're off work sick, it has a tremendous impact on your family's livelihood. In the first century, the need for a physician was constant and pressing. Historical factors aside, if you're sick, 
even just suffering from main flu, you know you need to get better. Uh, I've never heard anyone who says, you know, I have hepatitis and I'm feeling like the top of the world. You know, and I've, in fact, I've just slashed myself with this rusty blade so I can get tetanus. You should try this one time. It's really good for you. You know, I've never heard anybody say that. And anybody who say that is clearly very deluded. And if you think being sick is better than being healthy, you really need help. Everyone has a need for a physician. You know you are spiritually healthy if you have a constant and pressing need for Dr. Jesus. And just like the first century Israelites who find all forms of disease and injury devastating, we should see all forms of sin as life-threatening as well. Are you struggling with sin? Go to Dr. Jesus. Are you indulging in any sin that, and you can't stop because it brings you too much joy and happiness? Definitely go to Dr. Jesus. We need Jesus to heal our infirmities. Jesus came to this world because of our spiritual infirmities. Verse 32 reads, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In order for Jesus to heal us, we need to acknowledge that we have sinned against God, repent, drop our pride, and go back to him. The gospel is a unique message. Religions and philosophies tell us to be good, to be kind and charitable, and we will be spiritually healthy, enjoying a long and happy life. But the gospel says we need to acknowledge that spiritually we are beyond recovery and only Jesus can heal us. The gospel is very different from religions and philosophies because Jesus is revolutionary. Religions and philosophies are like self-help recipes. They fix the symptom but not the cause. It's like a doctor saying to an Ebola patient that I know Ebola virus is destroying your internal organs and causes it to bleed. It's very, very painful. I can see that clearly. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to forget about this Ebola virus and we're going to go home and pretend that we're a very healthy person. In fact, the harder you feel, the, 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 the more sicker you feel, the harder you should try. Then your health will be restored back to you. You don't need a medical degree to know that listening to this kind of advice will get you killed. Jesus is not about that. He says we're really sick and we desperately need him to heal us. In Numbers 21, when the Israelites blamed Moses for their own sin that caused them to be in the wilderness, God judged them and sent an army of poisonous serpents into the camp, and people began to die. The people realized that they've sinned against God again, and they went to Moses to confess their sin and ask for God's mercy. God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent put it on a pole so that whoever looks up to it, by faith, will be healed. This was an account that foreshadowed the ultimate cure, that is the cross. In John 3.14, it says, And as Moses, lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The message of the cross is about repentance and receive healing through faith. Your faith, uh, your health, restored by trusting the gospel message that Jesus gave his perfectly glorious and healthy body 
in exchange for your dead and ugly courts. Please don't think that the gospel message is just another optional self-help recipe. Can you see that the gospel is a matter of life and death? Do you acknowledge that you are sick beyond belief? Are you willing to let Dr. Jesus get to work and restore your health? Go to the cross in repentance and receive your treatment.